Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin, and in this Forgotten Sheep podcast, we're going to be talking about missionary Archibald Forder. He was a Wesleyan Methodist missionary to the Arab region in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Uh, Archibald faced extreme danger in the sands of Arabia as a missionary pioneer, which means he was among the first missionaries to go into many of these areas. Uh, his rudimentary medical training was used by the Lord to open doors and opportunities to share the gospel. It was especially used by the Lord to help him show the love that the Lord puts in our hearts, even for our enemies. Now, he was forced out of his missionary post because of denominational issues, but despite that, the Lord still opened up other doors for him. So let's start out with Archibald's early years. Archibald was one of seven children born to a middle-class family, and he says he was very fortunate that he was born to godly parents. Now, at the age of eight, famed pioneer missionary to Africa, Robert Moffat, arrives in Archibald's hometown. And he just got it in his mind that he just had to go hear Robert Moffat speak. And his parents were really surprised at his determination and his intensity on this. And so they felt there was absolutely no harm in letting him go hear Robert Moffat. So they allowed him to attend, and he made his way to the very front row. And Robert Moffat began his his lecture on uh, his missionary work and his adventures. And young Archibald was absolutely enthralled by what he was hearing. And he was just fascinated by it. Now, being an eight-year-old boy, his favorite story was about the lion that sprung out and grasped Moffat's shoulder in his fearsome teeth. But before that meeting was out, something had happened to Archibald. He was determined that when he grew up, he was going to be a missionary. And no doubt, Robert Moffat had no idea what was going on in the mind of the little eight-year-old boy in the front row that he no doubt could see. Uh, by this time, uh, Moffat was an elderly man, and he had spent his life in serving the Lord. So we can imagine the spiritual impact this had on uh, Archibald. Now, a few years later, Archibald heard another missionary speak, this one from China. And Archibald felt the fire of missionary call rekindled in his heart. But he was still too young to be a missionary, so he did the next best thing that he could. He started collecting for missions. And he was proved very effective at this, no doubt in part due to his age, having a young kid come up to your door and ask for missionary donations to the Wesleyan Missionary Society. So Archibald would go from door to door, foraging ahead in spite of rebuffs and discouragements, determined to raise money for missions. He was too young to go himself, but he would do everything he could to support those who were on the mission field. Now, collecting for missions was how he spent most of his holidays and his free afternoons. No doubt a most unusual choice for a young boy, but we can see here the Lord's hand in all of this. So when Archie, Archibald was 13, he was apprenticed to a baking and grocery business. He served a three-year apprenticeship, and apparently he had quite a knack for this. He seems to have done quite well in learning the trade. And he was a manager of wholesale and retail at an extremely young age. And it was during a visit home while he was completing his internship that he was born again. And Archibald said he was led to the Lord through the patience and persuasion of his former Sunday school teacher. 
Now, there's something I would like to point out here. Uh, Robert, I'm sorry, Archibald, felt the call to the mission field before he was saved. The Lord was already moving on his heart. However, the fact that he had a call to the mission field and the fact that he was collecting money for missions did not mean that he was saved. He still had to have that born-again experience with Jesus Christ. And the same is true for us. We can be doing the Lord's work and not truly be born again. And that's why it's so important that we seek the Lord and we make sure we have that, that witness in our heart that we have been born again. So that's how the future pioneer missionary to Arabia, young Archibald Forder, received the call to missions and was born again. So let's talk about Archibald's lifestyle as a, uh, a boy and as a young man. He made it a point never to be ashamed of his religious convictions, the things that he felt were right and wrong. He was not ashamed of them. He was very strict about taking a temperance pledge, which is a pledge not to drink any alcoholic beverages. Now, as a young man, he stayed very active, uh, you know, as a, a boy, he was raising money for missions. He also began working in slum missions, assisting with Sunday schools, and participating in leading young people's temperance societies. So, eventually, Archibald was made the missionary secretary to a large Sunday school in London. Now, mind you, this was uh, many, many years ago, so money had a different value then. But he... When he took the job, when he took that position, they were raising about $8 a year in money for missions. After Archibald had been there for a year, they were raising $300 a year for missions, going from $8 a year to $300 a year. And while serving as the missionary secretary to this Sunday school in London, he had the opportunity to come in contact with many different missionary veterans and pioneers that were serving all over the world. Now, it only seems natural that during this time, he would ask the pastor of his church if he would be willing to help Archibald get into the mission field. Now, you would think someone with Archibald's track record and obviously, a good Christian young man like this would be someone that the church would encourage. However, Archibald was likely crushed by his minister's response. Archibald, according to his pastor, was one of the most unlikely people to get into the mission field. He told Archibald that you have no college training and there's no uh, ministers in your family. You don't descend from a family of ministers. Now, who gave this pastor the authority to crush the dreams of this young Christian man that's wanting to do good in the world? This horrifies me. But we can see this minister was horribly wrong based on Archibald's impressive track record. Archibald said that he left his pastor's office convinced there was no possibility of him ever leaving England to become a foreign missionary. And so he decided that the only option he had was to just go ahead and settle down and get married in 1888 and start his own grocery business. Now, he kept busy with his Christian work. 
He didn't turn his back on God. He didn't change his attitude towards the Lord, but he set aside his call to missions. He set it aside. So, after a, short, after a few years, Archibald was, as he put it, quite settled in both his home and business when something changed. Three years after talking with his pastor, three years after his pastor told him there was no chance of him leaving England to be a missionary, he returned home from his Sunday school duties and was reading a missionary magazine. And it was an article on missionary work among the Arabs in the area that the Bible refers to as Moab, and it would be the Moabite people. And as Archibald was reading this, he, he saw this was a work that was described as being very rough, and it was being carried out by one married couple and one young woman. And in this article, in this missionary magazine, there was a direct appeal made for healthy young married men. The current workers there at that particular post were worn out and they needed someone to take their place so they could get some rest. Somebody that was ready to rough it in a very dangerous reason. And Archibald closed the missionary magazine. He closed the paper and he laid it aside, but the Lord wasn't through with him yet. He said a voice seemed to speak to his heart and said, that is for you. And Archibald couldn't escape that impression. Something latched into his heart. And he knew that even though his pastor had told him there was no chance that he was called to the mission field, he knew that the Lord had called him. That call to missions was rekindled in his heart. And a few days later, Archibald wrote to the secretary of that small mission, and he offered his services. Now, the secretary of that mission was a retired pioneer missionary to China who, although he was in a different region, knew, ex knew a good deal about what Archibald would be getting into. And he answered Archibald's letter with a visit from the head of the Arabian work. And they said, Archibald, we're going to promise you favorable consideration. Now, this probably surprised him. His pastor had told him, nobody's going to want you in the mission field. And here, he just made a simple inquiry, and they're saying, hey, we're going to give you favorable consideration. And Archibald was thrilled, but at the same time, he was torn. There were sacrifices, major sacrifices that he would have to make. He had a pain business that he had built up. He had a comfortable home. And he had a wife in a future that was filled with the possibility of children. And he knew if he stayed there in England, a nice, quiet, prosperous life awaited him. What lie ahead in Arabia, however, was danger, isolation, and uncertainty. And then there would be a sacrifice for his wife, too. So, four months into the matter, uh, it seemed like everything was dropped. No more progress was made. He didn't hear anything. And so probably Archibald thought, well, maybe this was just a test from the Lord. Am I willing to do this? That, that's what it was. Well, he got a letter. And the letter said, if you're still interested, we will consider sending you and your wife to Arabia. He had been accepted. 
And that's something for us to remember. Just because we are rejected of man, just because we are rejected by church leaders, just because we are rejected by the or, uh, the organized church does not mean that we are not accepted in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. So within a short time, Archibald and his wife were able to make the arrangements, and so they were completely free to go to pursue the call that God had put on their lives. So the next step for Archibald and his wife was a few months of practical training in a hospital. Now, this proved invaluable in later years and was used by the Lord to open a lot of doors and a lot of hearts while he was in the mission field. Now, their departure for Arabia was a source of great grief for both of their parents. Now, this was especially true of Archibald's parents, who had only recently uh, lost two of his brothers to death. And no doubt, in their, their love and attachment to Archibald, they tried to guilt him in stain. Um, I would not blame them for doing that, uh, but he, he was undeterred. He knew the Lord was calling him to do this. So undeterred Archibald and his young wife headed into Arabia, a land of vast deserts, incalculable dangers, fascinating cultures, and also spiritual darkness. Now, it's not long after he arrived in Arabia, Archibald took on the manner of, uh, clothing that the Arabs wore out of both a missionary spirit and out of practicality. Now, he and his wife's first foray into the Arabian desert included robbery and kidnapping. What a way to start your missionary career. <laughs> Swords, daggers, pistols, and rifles were all brandished against them. However, the man who kidnapped them, yes, the missionaries were kidnapped just a short time into their service in the field, the guy who kidnapped them became one of Archibald's most stalwart friends, and Archibald's wife was not harmed at all during the kidnapping. No doubt startled, no doubt frightened, no doubt anxious, but not physically harmed. Now the people that the Lord had called Archibald to work with were the descendants of Ishmael, or Ishmael, the illegitimate son of Hagar and Abraham. Abraham had been promised by God that his illegitimate son, Ishmael, the son that he had with his wife's handmaid, would father a large nation, but, but, his hand would be against everyone, and everyone's hand would be against him. And Archibald said after years of working among the Ishmaelites, this description would prove extremely accurate. Now, much of their travel was in the uh, desert in Saudi Arabia, and it was arranged during the cool of the day. Now, at night, they faced dangers. It wasn't so much from the animals. Yes, animals were a danger, but it was more from robbers and greedy sheiks who were more than happy to uh, attack traveling groups and take whatever they wanted of value. In fact, Archibald would be robbed uh, several times during his missionary career. Archibald and the others uh, with him, well, let me rephrase this. The guys that Archibald was with already knew it. Archibald learned from them how to watch the animals for signs that people were drawing close to their camp at night. In one particular instance, when their pack animals refused to eat, it ended up saving their lives because they found out they were about to be attacked. 
And so they learn to watch the animals. Now, one thing that many people mistakenly believe about uh, certain areas of Arabia is that it's all sand. All right, well, it's true. It's been described as a sea of sand, but it's not all sand. There were rocks. Uh, there were sources of water. They were few and far between, however. But there were rocks. There were um, areas with vegetation. There were, uh, I wouldn't say mountainous regions, but maybe like uh, hill areas that were comprised of rocks, a very rocky landscape. So, the main beast of burden in desert areas were camels and mules. And some areas had enough plants and trees that there was uh, you were able to find maybe a little bit of shade. Um, other areas were just rock-filled. And so, it was rough going. Even though there might be some vegetation around, there might be water, it was still rough and slow. Now, I mentioned... One of their main beasts of burden were camels. Camels were very important to travelers. Uh, Archibald talked about in his books that they can go 10 days without water. And their, their, uh, we would call it their feet, I suppose. Their feet are very well adapted to walking on the surfaces found in the desert, including sand. Now, I'll admit camels have a bad rap, <laughs> but Archibald said they're quite agreeable when they are treated well although they do have a reputation for spitting. So Archibald's work focused on the Bedouins, the nomads of the desert. They lived in portable tents made of animal skins, and the way their tents were designed, the hair or the fur was on the outside of the tent. Now, the vast majority of the Bedouins that Archibald worked with were uh, Muslims with varying levels of devotion. Okay, you might have some very extremely conservative Muslims and go on a ways and you would encounter some very, uh, what we guess I say, uh, liberal Muslims. So like the Jews, however, the Bedouins proudly claimed Abraham as their father and they were fiercely protective of the same holy sites as the Jews were. Uh, there were some of the holy sites that they didn't even want Archibald to see. They felt like his very presence would defile it. Places like uh, Hagar's well, or where, uh, I believe it was where Moses was said to have been buried. They didn't want, they didn't want Archibald to even go near those places because they felt like it would, uh, it would defile it. Now, Archibald and his young wife adapted to their new lifestyle quite well, and it was a major, major difference from what they were used to in England. And he said that as far as food, he could eat anything they gave him as long as he didn't have to see it being prepared. I guess it comes back to that saying, ignorance is bliss. Um, some of the things they struggled with, one of them was noise from the animals that were kept near the tents at night. It took a lot of adjustment to be able to sleep through that. And they also had to accept the fact that most of the time they were going to be viewed with suspicion. Common sense... Uh, on the part of the natives of Saudi Arabia dictated that the missionary couple had to be there for their own benefit. And that's just common sense. You know, that's what you're naturally going to think. And so instead of being offended when they were viewed suspiciously, 
they understood why these people did that, and they endeavored by their lifestyle, by their words, and by their behavior to remove that suspicion. Now, finally, after traveling through the desert, Archibald and his wife get settled into their missionary headquarters. It was a home about 20 square feet that was built half underground. There were no windows, no chimney, and the door was the only opening. And the fireplace was in the middle of the mud floor, and that meant smoke could quickly become a problem. Now, the packing cases that they brought their supplies and possessions in, they turned into tables, stools, and cupboards. Uh, a young boy who had been taught at the boys' school founded by the previous missionary served as Archibald's interpreter, and with the help of his young interpreter, Archibald began to pick up on the language fairly well. Now, the, he's remember he and his wife are being viewed with suspicion. They are being viewed as foreigners, as interlopers, as people there to take advantage. And so his first positive experience with the Bedouins was very important. So Archibald was walking along one day, and he heard this man just cry out. And so he entered the house to find this man, and what he discovered was a gentleman that was being held down by five people, five men, while another man worked on his mouth. So here's what was going on. The man that was screaming had a, a real bad toothache, and he had gone to the blacksmith to have his tooth removed. That's who apparently did the tooth removals. And the reason he was crying out was not just because he was having a tooth removed, but this blacksmith maybe was not the most coordinated when it came to dealing with people's teeth. And he had these pinchers in the man's mouth, but he didn't just have the offending tooth in the pinchers. He also had the man's tongue and a few other teeth. So naturally, this man is screaming bloody murder. So Archibald comes up and he says, listen. If you will come back with me to the missionary compound, I will remove only the offending tooth. I'm not going to get your tongue caught in the pinchers. I'm not going to remove any other tooth, teeth except the offending tooth. And so the guy was like, sure, I'll let you try. So they go back to the missionary compound. And everybody that was there watching the first time around followed them to the missionary compound. And there with a large audience... Archibald was able to quickly and easily remove the tooth. Those present, including the man with the toothache, were all duly impressed. And Archibald was able to win over quite a few locals that day. And so this is where, by his lifestyle, he and his wife's lifestyle, their actions and their words, they are showing people that they are not there to take advantage of them. They're not there for any evil or nefarious region, reasons, but they are there representing the Lord. Now, Archibald was often called on to treat various disorders and wounds. And these wounds were usually things like gunshot, spear, and dagger wounds. And the interesting thing is, many times the people that needed his help were the very people that had been abusive to him. The very people that had tried to harm him, actively harm him and his wife. And those were the people that would end up needing his medical assistance. Now, his major problem in treating these disorders was dealing with native doctors that would interfere. Um, he would start a treatment, and it didn't work as fast as the patient wanted. 
and so they would turn to the native doctor. So Archibald would leave, and this wound would be sterilized. It would be bandaged. Then he would return the next day to find out this person had visited the native doctor, and it was now filled with anything from animal excrement to bones. And Archibald also learned the hard way not to leave medicine with his patients because they would uh, find a way to misuse it. So if we think about this, they're not really so different from us uh, we in the, I'm in the U.S., we here in the U.S., we find ways to misuse medication too. And we get impatient with uh, our physicians also. But he was patient as he could be with all of this. Now, Archibald was often faced with threats, serious threats. One man had positioned himself sniper style on the missionary compound determined to shoot and kill Archibald. The Lord protected Archibald during this, and later, that same young man was seriously wounded. And guess who it was that treated his wound faithfully and carefully? It was Archibald. And this became a very common occurrence for Archibald. He would be called on to treat those who should be his enemies. And through the grace of God, he would care for his enemies with the same care as he would for his close friends.